Amen. I appreciated that this morning. We're so thrilled to have Sister Freeman. Excuse me, Sister Freeman. I went totally blank on that one. Hallelujah. God bless her soul. Amen. Mightily, mightily used of the Lord. Amen. What a thrill to have her. Amen. And we hope we can just kind of hug tire for next year. Amen. Amen. You pray for her. Amen. She's going to be going to Africa here, I believe, next month and this month. Amen. So you pray for her, that God will use her in such a way. Amen. She's touched a lot of lives. You know, and the thing of it is, we can all touch lives. Amen. Amen. That's what God saved us for, is to be his witnesses. Amen. But we want her to come now and just take her liberty. Amen. Just preach to us the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. And I hope you're here tonight. If you're here for the first time, what you're feeling is just the presence of our God. Amen. The Spirit of God reaching down to man. Hallelujah. To supply our needs. Amen. According to his riches and glory. Sister Freeman, you come. The Lord bless you. Hallelujah. 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 Access is a word that uh, we didn't often hear years ago, but it's become a very important word in today's business world, the computer world. Access is very important. If you want to know something about God, access is very important too. I had a wonderful experience this afternoon. I'm not a person that lays down and goes to sleep, but my husband told me, be sure you rest some this afternoon because when you get home two weeks from tomorrow we are leaving for Africa (laughs) and uh, he mentioned some of the things that still have to be done and uh, I said right now I never sleep in the afternoon that's something I have never been able to do I'm a going concern and my mind just keeps on going but I blessed myself with rest this afternoon had a wonderful dream And I dreamed I was preaching to you, and I'm going to do my best to preach to you what what I dreamed this afternoon because I was so blessed by it. Uh, Access to the treasure house. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We are the servants of a king, and he has a treasure house that we have never begun to explore And we do have access by obeying his word and doing what he commands. Hallelujah. I'm going to read you a parable that Jesus gave that's very significant. In Matthew chapter 25. I'm beginning with verse 14 of Matthew 25. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants, he didn't call the neighbor's servants, he called his own, and delivered unto them his goods. Now, his goods are found in his treasure house. Hallelujah. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. There should be no cause for jealousy on our part because 
The next phrase explains it to every man according to his several ability. God gives to us according to our ability. And God also gives ability. And straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. God is interested in increase. He is a good businessman. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. Friend, will you listen to me carefully? I pause for a moment to tell you. I let me remind you, there is a reckoning day ahead. There is no way you can escape it. There will be no excuses that avail you. Another appointment will not stand in the way of God's reckoning day with you. Every one of us are going to stand and give account to God. I've heard people with big mouths talking about what they're going to tell him. But let me tell you what you will say to him is nothing. You will be speechless in his presence. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. I want you to notice here, he was a servant, but because he used what God gave him, he became a ruler. A ruler of the kingdom. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Now the Lord did not say, Well, you, the other man here got gained a lot more than you did. He did not make any remarks. He simply gave him the same reward. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents, for unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance, but from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which hath, which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. God bless you. You may be seated. God gave us the plan of the ages. He was here. He walked in the earth as a man. And he went away to a far country. A country we cannot go to. But he gave something to his followers. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he has given something to you. There are too many of us that like to feel like, well, uh, he missed me. I didn't get anything. Oh, yes, you did. 
And if you ever begin to use what you have got, you will find out how great and how big he is. This little word access is a tremendous word to me when I apply it to God's treasure house. It reminds me of during World War II. We were pastoring in the States during World War II, waiting for the door to open to take us to Africa. And there was a young lady in our church with a husband in the service, and he sent her packages, beautiful gifts that he got in the countries where he was. And she would always call me and ask me to come over and see what her husband had sent her. And that was just beautiful. And one morning she called me and said, oh, Sister Freeman, I've got two packages. I want you to be here when I open them. And so I came and just got inside the door when we looked up and saw her husband at the gate. She did not expect him, did not know that he was coming. I mean, packages were forgotten. She ran to fall into the arms of the one that she loved. You see, she got the source of all of the packages. And so she didn't need all of those things, those gifts. No doubt she enjoyed them later on, perhaps, but they meant nothing to her compared to the presence of her bridegroom. And our bridegroom, is with us continually and he gives us constant access into his treasures. There is something I see that uh, I'm disturbed about as I travel around and I have traveled around the world. I have preached around the world and someone asked me recently, said, I thought you folks were retired. I said, well, we are in a measure. We used to make a small, uh, big circles, and now I'm making small circles, uh, but uh, still making circles. Uh, and I see, and I visit many churches, but do you know what we do? We pray without believing. Then that necessitates us saying, we're going to continue in prayer. We don't come to the point that we believe that what we have prayed is going to happen. We just collect prayers. I was in a ladies meeting a week ago yesterday in Oregon. And at the close of that service, there was a lady wonderfully anointed by God. And she said, the Lord has made me to know that he is going to heal the sick right now. There was about 300 ladies there. And she said, if Sister Freeman will come to the front and pray for you, God's going to heal you. Well, he is a healer. I am not. But I have access. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) I have access because I believe. And they were packed all around me there. And there was one older lady and she was trying so desperately, uh, a very la- quite a large lady, and she was trying to get to me. So I just reached my hand through uh, over some shoulders and prayed for her. Well, uh, I really thought that she would go on her way having received. I felt the witness of the power of God. Uh, but she just kept on trying to get through. And finally, after some time, she got right in front of me. She said, I've got arthritis so bad in my knees and in my ankles that I can hardly walk. And I want you to pray for me. I said, not anymore. You don't have arthritis. You did have it. I've already prayed for you. And you've got what you asked for. It's done. And the power of God hit her and she knocked everybody out of the way while she danced and performed there. You see, uh, but if I hadn't reminded her, she'd have still, she wanted another prayer. Watch it when you start just collecting prayers for things. 
out using some access into the treasure house and claiming what you have. The Lord taught me a beautiful lesson about this one day in Africa. I had the flu. It seemed like we got it worse over there than I've ever seen it over here. Uh, but uh, there was no time to go to bed. I mean, there was so much work to be done. Our office was upstairs. Uh, and the Lord was busy teaching me two lessons at that time. Uh, the lady that worked for us in the house, her name, we called her Aggie. I don't know if it stood for Agnes or what, but we just called her Aggie. And the custom of the country was that in the middle of the morning, in the middle of the afternoon, they wanted a cup of hot tea with milk in it. And I got so tired of having to leave my work twice a day. And out in the middle of something, I've got to leave it all and go downstairs and get Aggie some milk and some tea in, uh, to put in her tea. I mean, the tea was there. She would make the tea. Then she would come and say, Madam, will you please give me some milk for my tea? She always acted like I refused every day, and I never did refuse once. But what really aggravated me was the fact that I've got to leave my work and go down there and do it. And I thought, I'm going to fix this. And I went to town. Uh, they, their thinking is so entirely different to ours. And I bought her her own teapot, her own tea. Uh, uh, of course, they never had seen tea bags at that time. It was all, all uh, uh, loose tea and a little strainer and her own cup and sugar. I said, now there you are. And when it's time for tea, go to the refrigerator and help yourself. And pour that little dab of milk in your tea so that I don't have to leave my work and come down here and do it for you. She says, Madam, I could never do that. I'm only the servant. <laughs> you know, I'm sad to say that too many of us still have a servant attitude. And so I still had to go down. Well, I didn't have to de out the sugar. All I had to do was just pour in the little dab of milk. And it was one of the, that day that I was battling with the flu and Aggie is there saying, Madam, may I please have a little bit of milk in my tea? What can you say to that? I mean, just go down there and put it in. And I went down, poured her a little bit of milk and turned around and started back for the stairs to get back to my office. When my son came in, I stood and watched what he did. He opened the refrigerator door we still got milk in bottles. He took out the bottle of milk and just turned it up. Blah, 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 blah. He didn't say, please, mommy. As a son in the house, he helped himself to what he needed. And I remembered that this book says healing is the children's bread. That's what Jesus said to the Syrophoenician woman who was seeking healing for her child. And I thought, now what am I doing I'm thinking about tomorrow night when I go to church, I'll ask them to pray for me so I can get rid of the flu. I thought, no, I have access. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So between the bottom step and the top step, I helped myself to healing. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And that was the last of the flu because God showed me a double lesson there. He doesn't want us to continue acting like servants. He saves us on that level. But we are supposed to develop and to grow. The next understanding we need to have is the fact that I am not only his servant, I am his child. I am a member of the family. I have royalty in my blood because I am a child of royalty. Hallelujah. But that's not the end. That's still not the end. We're supposed to develop then into friends. 
In John chapter 15, Jesus said, I have not called you servants, but I have called you friends. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. That's how you get to be friends. Now, it is a sad thing that people even receive the beautiful baptism of the Holy Ghost and they get stuck right there and never develop and never come to the place where they can understand, I have access to the treasure of the King. Hallelujah. And he is my friend. And I don't have to beg him like, oh, please, God, oh, please, God. I don't have to beg him like a servant. I come as a friend. Friend, I have a need. And in your treasure house is everything I need. And I reach my hand and receive because I believe. Hallelujah. I'm talking about access. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're not all the same. God has made a lot of us different. But you know what? I have finally decided it depends on how close you walk to him. Now you can walk afar off and say, yes, I'm his. I belong to him. But you can draw near and say, friend, I love you. Because there's still another step. And that's a lover. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's as we prepare ourselves as the bride. I read in Revelations just a couple of days ago, the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride hath made herself ready. His wife hath made herself ready. There is some making ready we have to do. And when we do that, we step into the treasure house of the king and we have access to whatever we need. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For a long time in Africa, we were going through a very difficult stage of the work there. You know, the work of God does go through stages. <laughs> there are valleys, <laughs> there are deserts uh, that have to be gone through, and that's all a part of your development. Right. Walking through the valley and walking through the desert. And it seemed like it had been that for so long, and we came to a time of conference. Uh, and we were having it under a tent, only place we could find big enough. Uh, and it seemed like the whole elements conspired against us. I mean, it was raining and thundering and lightning. Uh, and here the people are sitting in the tent uh, and they're all holding their feet up because there's at least five inches of muddy water flowing through it. <laughs> you couldn't put your feet down unless you wanted to have a little foot washing with that muddy water. Uh, and I was sitting on the organ and all of a sudden I decided I got tired of what the devil is doing. And for about a month, every time I opened my Bible, it fell open at Mark eleven twenty three, where Jesus said, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart that the things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Yeah. I love those two words, whosoever and whatsoever. And I want to tell you tonight that you are whosoever and whosoever can have whatsoever. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Because God offers us access into his treasure house. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, sitting down that piano bench and the lights went off for the fourth time. And of course, I couldn't make any more noise because on the piano, on the organ, because uh, you know, lights is off. 
I thought, I'm going to put this thing to the test. And I just stretched out my hand. I said, Lord, right there. Fill somebody with the Holy Ghost that's never had it before. And I heard a man burst out speaking in tongues. And the devil said, yeah, that's somebody that's had the Holy Ghost a long time. But when the lights came back on, the man was on his feet. He said, for 12 years, I have been seeking the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And just as the lights went out, the power of God hit me. And I've got it. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, I challenge you to go boldly to the treasure house and say what you need. I stand here tonight because I have found access into the king's treasure house. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh yes, I'm just an ordinary person and I am nothing and can do nothing and know it well. In fact, I never walk to a pulpit without saying, Lord, in Jesus' name, I am going to that pulpit and I go in your name knowing that I am nothing and I can do nothing, but I depend on you. You see, when we can move out of ourselves, our honorary, stinking selves, when we can move out of our honorary, stinking selves and move into him, there is no telling what God will do for us. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And there are no limits. There are no limits. He has never put any limitations on his children. I'm so thankful for that. I want to tell you a true story. We had many great revivals in South Africa in the gold mines. Because young men came from several different countries there. And we recognized this an avenue of where we could send the gospel to places that we hadn't got to yet. And so we had some dedicated workers that worked in the gold mine. And it was just over and over and over again. They would come and report 25 got the Holy Ghost at the gold mine service. And and we'd go out. I remember one baptismal service that nearly gave my husband a heart attack. I mean, there was 23 to be baptized that day. And the water, they had to break the ice on it. It wasn't a thick layer of ice. But we did have ice. And so the first fella that went in the water to be baptized had never seen ice before he came to South Africa. You see, between South Africa and the South Pole, there's nothing but water. And so it gets pretty cold there in the winter time. We don't have snow except on the mountains, but we do have a lot of ice. And so this fellow that had never seen ice before, it scared him so bad that when he come up out of the water, he just climbed on top of our preacher. And he was a pretty big fellow. And so my husband says, oh my Lord, I'm about to lose a preacher out here. And we, was, we were standing on the bank and my husband was taking off his shoes. He's getting ready to go and rescue him, but about that time one of the other men coming in the water to be baptized helped the preacher and got him, but they baptized another bunch of them that day, and among those that was baptized was a young man named Sawa Sawa. He was from the country of Malawi, a country that we had been praying for and knew that God was going to help us someday get a work going in that country. We thought, well, maybe this is going to be the seed. Maybe this, this young man's going to be the one, and So we started trying to deal with him and made plans and took him with us to that country. And we got there and he acted like he'd never been there before. He had been gone about five years, but it was just amazing. And we said, now, Sawa Sawa, take us to your home. He said, I think we go down this road. And we went down that road. He said, I think we turn maybe here. 
and we we wandered around all day on his things. You know, I, I well, no, no, let's go back to that other road. I think we didn't go far enough. Well, what it was, they had come in and built a bunch of new roads, and, and this dumb bunny couldn't even find his way home. Now that's what I call dumb. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you can't even find your way back home, we spent the whole day at it. And finally, when the sun's about to go down, my husband said, look, find somebody you know where you can spend the night and that can maybe get you educated as to where your home is. And we're going to go back to town and find a hotel. We've got to have a little rest. Well, uh, just about that time, he found a distant cousin and the cousin invited him to go home with him. So we left him and marked our way carefully there and went back to town and rested. When we come back the next day, we, find, we still wandered around a bit. We finally found his home, finally had a little service, but there wasn't very much to it. I mean, it didn't look like this is going to be the way God's going to move because so was I. Well, just, uh, you know, uh, we thought first he was going to be a valuable man, but we decided that the, the kid has, hasn't got it. <laughs> That's all there is to it. He just hasn't got it. Well, we didn't see him again for four or five years. Didn't know where he went, but uh, we were up in Rhodesia, then called now Zimbabwe, for a wedding. And Sister Nix, the lady missionary, was going to make a point of them getting married in the church with a white dress. But what she didn't understand is that their weddings are always in three parts. They first have a a feast, and that's where the wedding, that's the wedding, a feast. Uh, and uh, they, uh, they put the bride and the groom together, and that's it. They're married. Well, then they will later on, if they want to do right, they go to a town and register as civil. But all of this costs money, so they have to wait a while, you see. Uh, and then later on, and I've seen it as much as three years later on, they have the church wedding. <laughs> Sometimes then by that time there's two kids, uh, you know, in, uh, in the family. Uh, but, it, it, but Sister Nix didn't understand all of that, and she didn't know that this church wedding was just the last part of a series of three weddings uh, that they had gone through. And uh, so my husband has a problem with names. It's partly a hearing problem. I'll never forget, my children never forget the day he baptized a young lady named Angela Sherry and he baptized my dear sister Angel Cherry. I baptize you. And so, but because of this, uh, he always made sure that he got names right, especially in a wedding. So here's Sawa Sawa to help him. He said, now Sawa Sawa, I want you to print for me on a piece of paper the bride's name very carefully. And so uh, Sister Nix was sitting together and she looked at my husband. She said, what's wrong with Brother Freeman? I looked at him. I said, he's tickled. <laughs> she said, well, I thought maybe he was going to have a heart attack the way he looked. I said, no, something's happened funny. Well, what it was, uh, the bride's name was Phyllis. And so Sawa Sawa wrote on a piece of paper, F-I-L-L-Y, Philly. <laughs> Uh, and she definitely wasn't a filly any longer. Uh, but, though I don't know a lot about horses, I do know that. And, uh, so this struck my husband as funny. But we finally got that wedding. But I just thought of put another, in my mind, another mark against Sawa Sawa. I mean, uh, you know, uh, you, when you need some help, you're not going to be able to depend on this fella. Yeah. I'm telling you what Sawa, Sawa was before. Because I want to tell you, we didn't see him again for about six years because of our extensive traveling through the whole continent of Africa. Uh, but when we saw him again six years later, it is the year that we are retiring uh, from foreign missions. And we had several services in each country. And they said, one of your services here in Zimbabwe is with Sawa Sawa. Service with Sawa Sawa? That's interesting. And we got there and we were surprised. Here he is. He has got a fine wife. 
and he is the pastor and there were 300 people in that service today and it was one of the best services we had in a long string of them that God moved in such a beautiful way and I said hey God takes no talent people and gives them talents because I watched him uh, conducting himself and it was tremendous and on our recent trip to Africa uh, we uh, there had been a lot of problems uh, we had uh, what you call a coup in the church in the country of Zimbabwe where Brother Sam Latta was a missionary built some beautiful churches and did a tremendous work uh, but uh, they have been without a missionary because they run the last two off and uh, there's been an element there that has been very wrong and we have done a lot of prayers and I don't generally tell an audience this but I have to tell you to, to let you know what God has done but when we, we flew in there one of our purposes of being there was to be in a seminar to teach the preachers and try to help uh, to move towards getting things straightened out uh, and uh, that trip cost us a great deal uh, we had no rest and very very early in the morning we got up and we flew there and we, we taught all day and got back again to where we were staying in, in Harare late that night uh, but when we got there we found a wonderful development we found that this element that was so unspiritual and had gone the wrong direction were being totally cowed by a man of God with such wisdom. I never heard more beautiful words of wisdom from mouths in my life and I had to almost pinch myself to say, this is sour, sour. Thank you, Jesus. And I asked about his work. They said he now has 3,000 members in his church. You see, we can very quickly write someone off but if they find out they have got access to the king's treasure house, oh, what a difference it makes. And we saw how that God is moving this man into leadership and we know that the country is going to get back on track because God found a man he could use, a man who had access to his treasure house. He cut up us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let me tell you about Yanni. Uh, now, Sawasaw was a black man. Yanni was a, among in our white work. Little old toe-headed, crackle-faced boy. Come to me the first time. He couldn't have been over 11 or 12. I don't really know his age. But he came to me, and Yanni had a problem. He had been bitten by, they have deadly scorpions in South Africa. They are huge and people die or are permanently crippled. I knew a lady that was bitten by one on her ankle and that leg shriveled up. We would have thought it's polio or something, but it was a scorpion bite. And Yanni, at two years old, his mother was an alcoholic and the two-year-old wandered out of the house and was bitten by the scorpion and lay in the chicken house. All day and all night, they finally found him the next day. He had been able to talk right before that, and they, they all talked about how precocious he was and how he talked at an early age. But now, Yanni stutters terrible. We were at a conference, and I saw him doing this. And I went over, and I said, Yes, Yanni, you want to tell me something? He said, Sis, 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 sis,
He said, yeah, 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 yeah. Gospel. Poor little fella. Bless his little heart. How'll he ever be able to preach? I mean, you know, this this is pitiful. I thought I so I but I must be careful about my response. So I put my arm on his shoulder. I said, That's wonderful, Yanni. God loves you. I know that. And I love you too. And I pray for God's will to be done in your life. But in my heart of hearts, I thought, how can this boy ever preach? I mean, well, a couple of years, a few years went by, I guess. And Yanni's 15 now. And he's getting to be quite a big boy. And and he come up and (laughs) gave that finger. And I went over, yes, Yanni? He said, re, 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 me, 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 remember my, 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 see, 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 secret. Yes, Yanni, I remember your secret. I thought I'd spare him, you know, stay going through all that again. So I said, God has called you. And I was going to stop there just to see if maybe he'd forgot the last part of it. He said, gospel. I said, yes, Yanni. I remember. And again, I prayed for God to have his way and his will in Yanni's life. Well, a few more years went by and Yanni is now 19 and I get a phone call. I didn't have to ask who's speaking. <laughs> Hello, sister, Freeman. I said, yes, Yanni, what can I do for you today? He said, pray, 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 pray for, 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 for me, 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 me. They, 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 but it wasn't Yanni that called me to tell me. He called me later. But his pastor called me, weeping. He said, Sister Freeman, we have a new youth leader. And he asked Yanni to preach in the young people's service on Saturday night. And you know how it is at our church. Everybody comes to youth service. Just the young folks sit in the front and the old folks sit in the back. Uh, and I was, if he had asked me about it, I would have said, no, wait a while. But he didn't ask me, and he asked him to preach. And the man is weeping as he tells me the story. He said, that young boy got his Bible and marched to that pulpit like he'd been doing it all of his life and said the only stutter he gave is he put two M's in Matthew. He said, I'm reading from my Matthew, chapter 11, verse 29 through 30. And that boy preached with the anointing of God on him because he had done something that I didn't think would be that easy. He reached into the treasure house. He had access to the treasure house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yanni is married today and has four children. His oldest daughter is a university student and Yanni is one of our outstanding leaders in South Africa. He has met with the leaders of the country. He is a man that we come to find out they always thought he's a little bit dumb but he has a beautiful mind, a brilliant mind and it's totally dedicated to God and I thought yes it doesn't matter who you are or what you are if you step out of yourself you can reach 
into the king's treasure house because he loves you and he has given you access. But for a beginning, you've got to learn to believe that he will answer your prayers. He is so disappointed in us when we pray so earnestly and we pray and we pray and we pray and get up wiping away our tears after we've told him our burden and then the next time we meet a child of God, we said, please pray for my problem. And he hears. Let me tell you how he taught me this. I was down on my face praying. Now, my husband had moved into this dimension of friendship with God. And worry wart me, I was having a hard time handling this. In fact, I said to him one day, you just keep talking about your friend. Do you mean to say, I don't have a friend? He said, honey, you'd never made it this far if you hadn't had a friend. But he said, you don't always act like you've got a friend. But I had made an effort and was on my way, I thought. But I got down to pray. And I'm praying, oh God, oh God, I'm bringing to you this request that I've been praying for 13 long years. And he said, yes, and I heard you the first time. You, you, you heard me the first time? Lord, I just keep on asking because nothing has changed and nothing has happened. He said, you keep on asking because you don't believe. And then I realized I'm not praying right. I said, Lord, teach me to pray. Amen. How do you want me to pray? He said, number one, I want you to believe that when you pray, I'm listening. I'm not some old absent-minded grandpa that's already forgotten what you asked me last week or last month or last year or 10 years ago. He said, I hear every prayer that is prayed and I answer every prayer that has a little bit of faith. It doesn't take a whole lot. Just use what you've got. Just a little bit of faith. Hallelujah. I said, Lord, how can I develop that faith? He said, when you ask me something... Don't nag me. You don't have to keep coming back and coming back. Now, don't look at me shocked like that. Uh, I know this is a strange doctrine, uh, but I, 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 the Bible supports it. He said, when you pray, believe. Just a simple thing like that. Believe when you pray. He said, now, you've asked me. I've heard this story over and over for 13 years. And I've been looking for an opportunity to answer you. Did you never read in the Bible where it says, The Lord, the eyes of the Lord, run to and fro through the earth, seeking those that are upright in heart, that he may show himself mighty in their behalf? Amen. Amen. He said, You've asked me, now why don't you thank me for the answer? I've never prayed for the 13 year prayer request again. I started thanking him, and within three months, I got word that the answer had come. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God is not going to answer your prayers because you ask him 697 times. He's going to answer your prayers when you believe him. And that is the access into the treasure house. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, I am trying to show you a better way. The Lord taught me a wonderful lesson in Africa with a little incident. 
This was also, now we worked among four different kinds of people over there, strictly segregated by law, thank God. The reason we're having to go back for this conference in December, which we had not planned to do, uh, was because that the church is getting together over there. <laughs> and there's going to be one leader over all nations and tribes of people, and that is tremendous. We, we always believed that it would happen one day, and they said, you've got to be here for the consummation of what God is doing. Uh, and so that is why we're going back. But back in those days, it was a different matter. We had all different kinds of people. But now this was again in, uh, from the white, one of the white churches. Uh, the fact, the one my husband, we'd start one and pastor it until it was able, uh, somebody, we'd go start another one. Uh, and, uh, but while we was pastoring this white church, this young lady called me. She said, oh, Sister Freeman. She said, you know, I found out why God saved me. And I said, good. <laughs> Tell me about it. She said, well, our neighbors out on the farm have also found the Lord in this same glorious truth that we have. God led them into this in a wonderful way. They're very old now, but they've been praying for me. That's why God saved me. I said, that is wonderful. I'm glad to hear it. She said, but there's one thing I've got to tell you. This sweet old lady is paralyzed. She's been paralyzed for six years. I told her you'd come pray for her and God would heal her. I said, well, I don't have a car today, dear. My husband is gone in the car. She said, well, I've got my car. I'll come get you and take you out there. Had come to Africa. And one of her sons, as well to do, hired his mother to the meetings. And he thought she could just ride back in the car. But no, they had to send her back home in the, in the ambulance because she wasn't able to ride in the car because nothing happened. And so she went on to say that everybody in South Africa had, that prays for the sick, even a, an Episcopalian priest, had prayed for her, and she's still crippled. Her legs are still useless. And I said, Lord, there's no need of me going out there and giving her another prayer to add to her collection. What can I do? And he didn't answer. And I kept praying. And while this young lady is just babbling and talking, I'm praying all the time, God, show me what to do. Lord, what can I do to help this woman? What can I do? What can I do? And he don't answer. And finally we arrived. And I, as I got out of the little Volkswagen bug we was in and started walking up to the porch, I said, all right, Lord, I'm not going to do anything till you tell me what to do. And I got to the steps. And I put my foot on the first step going up, and I'm as blank as a blank piece of paper. And the Lord said, just testify of me. So I sat down in front of this sweet old couple after the introductions, and, and I just started testifying about Jesus. I said, you know that I had two daughters that had polio and were paralyzed, and God healed both of them. And I said, a, a doctor leaned across his desk in 1951 and told me that I had six months to live, that I was dying with leukemia, and God healed me. And I just began to tell her and them everything I could think of that God had ever done, and the more I talked, the more I thought of. And finally, the old brother interrupted. He said, Sister Freeman, we thought you'd pray for my wife when you come. And I enjoy hearing the testimonies, but I'm awful anxious for you to pray for her. I said, Brother, I'm going to level with you. She has collected a prayer from everybody that would pray for her all over this whole country. It would not do a bit of good in the world for me to add another prayer to her collection. I realized that on the way out here. And I told God I'm not going to do anything until he tells me what to do. And he told me to testify to him. I said, why don't you testify a little bit? Well, this was an area very much like your area where they grow a lot of grain. And so he said, you know what kind of hailstorms we have here? One of my boys was visiting from town, and I looked out and saw that hail rolling across the valley. 
And I just ran out in the rain and my son said, Dad, come back. Hail can kill people. He said, I didn't pay attention to him. I knew what I had to do. I went down there to the back of my cornfield. It was right ready to harvest. And I said, Hail, don't you fall on my land. And I stood there and watched it destroy my neighbor's crop. Then I thought, you know, I could have stopped the hail on the other side of his land. But I didn't think about it then. But he said, not one piece of hail fell on my corn, not one, on all of my fields that were standing there. And they, I, I got a kick out of that, him saying he was, you know, he should have thought about his neighbor, but he didn't. And then the Lord spoke to me. And I said, well, sister, the Lord has told me to do something. She said, you going to pray for me? I said, not yet. He told me to ask you three questions. She said, all right, I'm ready. I said, number one, do you believe God can make old legs work again that won't work anymore? Do you believe he can do it? She said, oh, yes, praise God, I know he can do it. I said, that's wonderful, you've answered well. I said, number two, do you believe he'll do it for you? She said, yes, praise God. I said, do you see the difference in your two answers? I said, we can't go any further. That's not a good answer. Let's start over. Can God do it? Yes, praise God, hallelujah. I said, brother, help her. Will he do it for you? Yes, praise God, hallelujah. I said, you know, I'm still not quite satisfied. Let's do it again. So we did it the third time. And that time she got it right. I said, that's wonderful. We're getting somewhere now. I said, now the third question, and I lean forward. One word. When it was so quiet on that porch, you could have heard a pen drop. But as long as I live, I will never forget what happened that day. She looked at me and smiled and said, Now, and got up and started walking. <laughs> I never did pray for her. I danced all over the porch, but <laughs> I never did pray for her. You see, if we believe, if we believe, God has got a storehouse of tremendous blessings for those that believe. If you're here tonight and you don't exactly understand everything you've seen and everything you've heard, let me tell you, this is real. This is God. And you that already know him, let me tell you, the treasure house stands ready for your access. And whatever you need tonight, you can receive from him because he wants to meet with you. He is looking for a chance to do something for his children. And we somehow think we got to talk him in the notion. Oh, no. All you've got to do is believe. My husband preached a marvelous sermon one day, and in it he said, faith is a decision. You decide God can, yes. you decide God will, and then you say when. Yes, that's right. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. There is no limit to what God can do. But if you say things like, well, I don't know why God hasn't answered my prayer yet. You're, I can tell you why. Your unbelief has never allowed him. God is ready. You can say to the mountain and it will go in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You've got to watch one thing. We Americans have this yesterday syndrome. We want it all done yesterday. 
Remember, his calendar doesn't work like ours, nor his clock. And he has his own time, and he has his own way, and he knows what to do, and he knows how to do it. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I was in a service last year where a preacher, a minister of the gospel said, I believe the time has come that God wants to use his body. He said, the preachers can pray for you if you insist. But I believe that those people sitting back there on the back seat can pray for you if you're back there. It was an enormous crowd. And you will be healed because God wants to use his body. And I believe that, that God wants to use his body. And there were three sweet ladies there that went to a lady sitting in a wheelchair. She had been coming to that particular meeting every year for three years, and they, everybody had prayed for her. But these three ladies, they're not Sunday school teachers, and they're not young anymore, but the three of them got up, led by God, and went over, and they said, get out, out of that chair in Jesus' name, and she got up. And when I looked around, here she is dancing all across the front of the church. Hallelujah. Because somebody believed that God would do it. We have got so much caution. We think, well, now, if I say it and it don't happen, well, the only qualification is doubt. You've got to get rid of your doubt. And if we praised him more and worshiped him more, we could understand that he is able. Oh, my husband's favorite scripture, I don't think he has failed to quote it. In the last, I don't know how many years, it must be 35 or 40 years, that I, I haven't hardly heard my husband miss a day without quoting Ephesians 3, verse 20. Unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all, we can ask or think, there's one qualifier, according to the power that worketh in us. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, uh, God opened up to my husband something he preached that I want to share with you. You remember that time that Jesus found those 10 lepers that came to him crying for help? And he said, I will be clean. And they were all 10 of them cleansed. Now, you don't see leprosy. We've worked in Africa, and we've seen a lot of it. Anybody with leprosy, the reason we compare leprosy to, to sin is because the disease of leprosy, you don't have any more feeling. Right. And people that are on their way to hell don't feel like they're going to hell. They don't feel but because the people have no feeling, they will touch the hot stove, they will burn their hands, they will get all kind of infection, they will knock their hands, and that's how their hands fall off, their noses fall off, their ears, their feet. They are a sad group of people. I have, we have worked among them. In fact, the church was started in Ethiopia among the lepers, and it is sad to see people with leprosy, and I'm afraid there's a lot of people with spiritual leprosy that they can't feel like this is not wrong and that's not wrong in the meantime they're failing God and don't understand it but Jesus said you are clean go show yourself to the priest but one of them he was a Samaritan he came back and fell down at the feet of Jesus and thanked him and Jesus said where are the nine where are the nine the nine were cleansed that means that their leprosy was healed but if you read there, it says, but the Lord said to him, this man, you are made whole. God restored whatever fingers he had lost, restored whatever a foot if he'd lost it, whatever he had lost, God made him whole. The rest of them were cleansed.
confidence. I can't tell you what that did for me when I realized what a God we serve and what great and wonderful treasures he has. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. He has given to us many wonderful things. If you work with what you've got, you receive more. You receive more. You may be weak and you may think, I can't do very much, but do that little bit you can. And watch what Jesus does. He has given you access to the treasure house. Oh. My heart is so hungry to see us. Can I tell you the difference between you and the Africans and the Filipinos and other people that I've preached to around the world? They don't have any better sense that when we tell them you are healed, they believe it. They don't have any better sense than just to believe it. And you, with your active mind and all your intelligence and your logic, you try to figure it all out, and you can't. And so you defeat faith. It's, it's so hard for you to believe. Hallelujah, hallelujah. But I am here to tell you tonight, God's storehouse, God's treasury of all good things is open. Of course, his will does enter into it. He knows what to do. He knows how to do it. But if you will surrender yourself totally to him, that's the starting place. Surrender yourself totally to him. Uh, and then begin to use what he has given you. And the more you use it, the better it is. We had a church in Africa that we had no musicians. Now, among the white people, it was kind of funny. Uh, our black people over there did not want any musical instruments. They had such beautiful harmony, and they loved to sing in harmony. And among them, I'd go sometimes and play my accordion a little bit with them, just kind of as an accessory after the fact. And I never failed to notice that they would change keys in one song, sometimes as many as eight times, which was quite an exercise for no better musician than I am. But then the, the, our mixed-blooded people, I mean, they can't have church without six guitars and two drum sets. And I mean, they, they really go to town. Uh, but then the, our Indian people, again, uh, they don't have a lot of musical instruments because they sing in the minor keys. And it's, it's a weird sound, some of it. Uh, and it's very hard for us to understand. Uh, and then the, the, the white people are very dignified and an organ and a piano, no drums, maybe a saxophone. Or an accordion, but that's it. But here we had this big church, and we didn't have anybody to play the organ. And one night, I'm standing on the platform because I was to speak in a few minutes, and I said, God, you know that we need somebody with music. I mean, it's a hindrance to the service. We need a little bit of music. And he said, All right. He said, Just pray for some hands here. And he didn't even say which one. He said, just pray for some hands and I'll show you my power. I looked over the bunch and I picked out one young lady. I said, would you mind coming up here a minute? I said, would you like to play the organ? She said, oh, I'd give anything in the world if I could. I said, give me your hands. I put my hands on those hands and I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, these hands are going to play the organ. Within just a few weeks, that young lady was playing the organ beautifully. She had no training. Nobody taught her. She was willing to try. At first, she could only pick out the songs with one finger, and she'd sit down there picking them out with one finger, and then pretty soon she was adding, and before long, she was playing so good that I wouldn't play if she was there because she played so beautifully. 
You see, that's a good example of using. She believed me. She sat down at the organ at home and picked out the, the songs, one finger, and started out playing for church. One finger. Well, one finger is better than no fingers. <laughs> and God used her. The last time I saw her, she was still making music for Jesus, beautiful music for Jesus. I've got to tell you one more. One more. We had a church among the colored people in Durban, South Africa. It was our largest church. And the Sunday school teachers came to me one day and they said, uh, Sister Freeman, there is this kid that's coming to Sunday school that's giving us a lot of problems. Can we ban him from the Sunday school? I said, which one? Tony Governor, they said, is his name. He's an Indian, an Asiatic Indian. His mother and father comes every Sunday morning and sits there like statues. They never sing. They never take part. They never do anything. They just come there and sit and they pay no attention to what he's doing. And he's tormenting the little kids and pulling the girl's hair and poking at all the boys. And he keeps a fight going all the time. We'll do God and the church a favor to get rid of Tony Governor. I said, you can't do that. You can't do that. I have never felt like you ought to run anybody off a church. I, I, I just, I just, I don't, I've seen people that operate on that principle, but I have never felt like it was right. Give God a chance to do what he wants to do and see what God will do. I, I said, pray. Well, then my mother came from America and she began to pastor that church because we didn't have a pastor at that time. And it was so far away, it's kind of hard to pastor two churches 420 miles apart. And so God began to bless them. They come to my mother and said, Sister Eastridge, please let us kick this Tony Governor out. You tell him never to come back to church. She said, I will never do that, but I will pray for Tony. And then they promoted us and we became over the whole continent of Africa as supervisors. We began to travel from country to country and we lost a lot of contact with the individuals that we knew. But we kept telling Brother Sism, Brother Sism, God has saved a mighty bunch of those Indians from India in South Africa and we want you to come and see this work and finally it worked out that Brother uh, Sism could go uh, had a little area conferences all we could find a building big enough to hold the people and it wasn't big enough they, they said that the building would hold 800 people and they had nearly 2,000 in there but here was this young man up there dressed in white uh, emceeing the service and doing a tremendous job and he looked faintly familiar but I couldn't figure out who he is so I said to Sister Iker the missionary's wife who is the MC she said oh his name is uh, 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 Tony I said no no <laughs> don't tell me Tony Governor she said yeah yes that's it I said I've seen God do miracles but I've never seen a bigger one than Tony Governor up leading that service she said oh he is married has a wife and two little boys and he has opened a new church and is already running 500 in Sunday school he is a future leader of this work and I thought about all those Sunday school teachers he had put gray hairs in their head for years and years and years let me tell you don't give up on anybody I don't care how they act or what they do God is on the throne well, I, I wanted to quit but I got to tell you about my father-in-law he was an old scoundrel I mean, uh, he had a bunch of daughter-in-laws because he had nine sons and uh, they didn't all live to be grown, but most of them did. Uh, and we daughter-in-laws all called him grandpa and we kept our distance. You didn't get close to grandpa. Uh, I mean, uh, and you've got close enough to hear him. That was too close uh, because he had the dirtiest mouth I have ever heard on an old man. 
But one day I come home from a prayer meeting in Africa. I found my husband sitting in a chair and there was tears in his eyes and we'd had a wonderful prayer meeting and I just come bouncing in on cloud nine nearly and I said, honey, what's wrong? Have you got some bad news? And he said, I just thought my old dad is 90 years old today. I've never seen him go to church in all of his life except for a funeral. And he doesn't like to go to funerals, but if he had to, he would go. And I'm just trying to reconcile myself to the fact that my daddy is going to be lost eternally. I got him by the hand. I pulled him up out of that chair. He likes to tell this as though I jerked him out. I don't really think I did. But I pulled him out of that chair and I said, no, I don't care if he's 90 years old. I don't care if he's 92 years old. God can save him. I believe. I believe. And so, at that time, busy lives, phone rang, somebody knocking at the back door and somebody at the front door, and we forgot all about it. Two years later, we came on furlough, and while we was on furlough, I was there the night that Grandpa Freeman, I preached the night he came to the altar for the first time. Old man had smoked a pipe for 69 years. I said it had to be the same one. The way it stunk, it smelled so bad, I got sick every time. I got close to him from that old pipe, and he threw away his pipe and said, I want to go to church, children, and somebody brought him to church, and I said to the pastor of that church, would you go back there and ask my father-in-law to come to the altar, and he went back there, and he come back, and he said, Sister Freeman, I think he's waiting for you. Uh, well, I, I, I'm still scared, Grandpa. I mean, but I thought, well, I got to go, and I went back there, and of course, what I said was not very brilliant. I just said, Grandpa, don't you think it's time you sought the Lord? He said, honey, would you lead me up there to that altar? I can't see so good with all these tears in my eyes, and I led an old man, 92 years old, to an altar of prayer, and he was baptized in the name of Jesus a few days later and got the baptism of the Holy Ghost while he was putting his clothes on, and they took a picture of him and sent it to us, and I'll tell you what, that old man's face was transformed. He looked like an angel. God gave him five more years to worship him and praise him. There is nothing impossible with God. Would you stand with me right now? Everyone, please stand. <laughs> it's as though the angels are walking up and down the aisles of this church right now. I feel the power of God here in such a beautiful way. If there's something you need from God, let me tell you, he's waiting up here for you with his arms outstretched. And if there's someone, wait a minute now, wait a minute, don't everybody come. I want to tell you what, how you're to come tonight. If, you're, if you know the Lord, <laughs> that's all right, dear. If you know the Lord and there's someone you want to know God, or, there, or there has, you have a need or someone else has a need, I want you to come up here and just say, God, I am walking into your treasure house today and I thank you. I'm taking what I need and I thank you because it's done. I don't want you to come up here begging God anymore. I want you to come up here and thank him. You come up here for somebody else or for some need in your life. That's right. You're, you're right. Come on, dear. That's, yeah, that's what I want. You're coming up here for someone else. I don't care if it's a parent. I don't care if it's a brother or a sister or a husband or a wife. Whatever it is, you come up here for whatever it is you need for somebody and you thank him for it. Don't ask him. Don't beg him. Thank him. And if you 
here tonight and you need something from God, he's waiting for you. You can come up here and receive something from him. Come. That's right. Come. He is waiting for you. He wants to do something for you. His power is here. His 